Right now, we are going to resume our series in Mark, a little mini-series again, as we did back in the fall, now looking at Mark chapter 2, and uh, I think we'll get into chapter 3, maybe chapter 4. I can't remember the exact schedule going forward. But uh, we're on the same theme as we were looking at in the fall with Mark's gospel, and the idea of the notifications that, that really matter. Following Jesus, making an uh, allusion to social media there, uh, that we would cut through the noise and not miss what's most important. And that's what Jesus offers us. In fact, if we will pay attention to the Lord and to His Word, we can have a peace and clarity uh, and and less anxiety and all sorts of benefits like that through His Word. And it's the history of God's people throughout time. I was reminded again this week of a missionary named John Patton, who was an early missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the Pacific. He came, uh, went to those islands after others had failed, and in fact, the, the two men who had been there before him were killed within minutes of their arrival by the people on those islands. Another attempt after those two men was driven away after only seven months. So when John Patton got there, there wasn't a lot of hope for longevity. And on top of that, his wife and his newborn son died just within months of him arriving. To start his missionary work, he had to bury them, digging their graves by hand. He served another four years in constant danger. He's eventually driven off as well. And when he returned back home, he was criticized for not staying in the mission field and dying. Yet, he writes, and I bring up all those sad things he experienced for this reason, that when he wrote about that time of crisis... Afterwards, he said, during the crisis, I felt generally calm and firm of soul. Now, you and I probably aren't facing literal death. We have resistance and probably all face criticism and challenges and loss of various kinds. But the same hope that he had, the, the same confidence and calm and peace experienced by John Patton in such challenging times is available to you and I. And I think we get a good glimpse of that in our passage today and the path forward, especially as we start a new year, let's remind ourselves again of where we find hope and peace and confidence. Would you look with me at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. When he, this is Jesus picking up the story from the end of chapter 1, when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus 
seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? To the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is God's word. Lord, thank you for your word, that it is trustworthy and true. We pray that your spirit would accompany your word as we look at it today that you would guide the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, that it all might work together to give us confidence and hope in a challenging world, in the circumstances of life, even in the midst of our own brokenness and sin. Meet us here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So... It's a, it's a good story. It's a story you can easily remember what we just read here in Mark chapter 2. Uh, focusing on Jesus, of course, and these four men with their friend, most likely, on the pallet, the paralyzed guy. And then the scribes, who were professional teachers and studiers of God's Word. And the, the circumstances all come together and reveal through all of these characters in, in this real story that what each of them knows, and I don't just mean intellectually, I mean like deep down what they're living out based on what they believe, what they know, what they say and do and don't say and don't do, that, that all of that is revealed, that, that it is in fact the case that what you know determines where you go. And I don't mean just intellectual knowledge, what's in your head. I mean what you know. You know, the, the, what you actually believe deep down that you maybe even don't know that you know, it comes out in how you live, in what you say and what you don't say, what you do, what you don't do. Jesus will say later on in the Gospels that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks that the heart is, is deep waters for us to plumb and find things in. And that's kind of the overarching picture of this passage, that what you know determines where you go. And so I want to encourage you today, as we start a new year, as we start this new series, to examine carefully three things. And the first one is this. Because what you know deep down determines where you go, I want you to examine the content that you consume. It's important that you carefully examine the content you consume. That's our first point. And verses 1 and 2 point to this, um, where Jesus says, 
my glasses go. In Mark chapter 2, uh, we read, When he had come back to Capernaum, that is Jesus, several days after the events at the end of chapter 1, it was heard he was at home, and many were gathered together, so there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking to them. And so uh, I, I, I chose those words carefully that, that you would examine the content you consume. And if you're familiar with the, the vocabulary of social media and those kind of things, when, when you post something online, a YouTube video, webpage, whatever, you, know, you are posting content. People who create YouTube videos and amass followers on Instagram are called content creators. And when you watch it or read it or listen to it or whatever, you are consuming the content. And so I, I like that picture because I want you to think with me for a moment about Jesus kind of as a content creator. Very early pre-internet viral sensation. Okay, It's not that much of a stretch, really. If you just look at our passage, the crowds are gathering to him. <clears throat> and why have they come to this place where Jesus is? Because he's returned after traveling to other towns, back to Capernaum, which seemed to be his home base at this part of his ministry, after he had healed the leper at the end of the last chapter and told the guy not to tell anybody, but the guy went and told everyone. And they all heard about it. And so Jesus said, hey, we need to move on. Let's go teach other places because that's why I came. And in fact, if you understand what Jesus is about, you see that he is about content. Even in our passage in verse 2, it says at the end of verse 2, he was speaking the word to them. That is his stated mission to share content, to speak in particular. Yes, he heals and he ministers in other ways. But if you look at chapter 1 of Mark's gospel, when Jesus shows up on the scene in verse 15 of chapter 1, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, in the good news. Chapter 1, verse 21. <clears throat> It re we read, they went into Capernaum, he and the disciples, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. Verse 22 of chapter 1. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Look down to chapter 1, verse 38. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And then lastly, right after our passage in chapter 2, verse 13, he went out again by the seashore and all the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. Jesus came to teach and to preach. He came with a message to deliver and to share. It was content. And I, and I want you to think about that that way because if you think about content on social media and internet and platforms all around us, whatever you want to call that, there's a lot of content. You, you could just get lost hours, days. How many of you, uh, younger people especially, students and all who were off, spent hours on social media, hours consuming 
uh, YouTube videos, hours, maybe even the rest of us, binging things on Netflix or Prime or whatever we're watching. Right? We can just easily be overwhelmed by the content. And in the mix of all of that individual bits of data and information, which a lot of it's just mere entertainment, but there is good stuff. It's not good or bad. There's all of that out there. In the midst of all of that is the message of the Bible. There is the good news that Jesus offers. And it's very hard to stay focused on it. It's one of the goals of calling these things out and overtly calling you know, our, our, our idea of following Jesus, paying attention to the notifications that matter. That we would realize that there is a lot of things out there competing for our attention. And there are equally good and bad things out there. And that we need to even just be aware of that. And I want you to think about not only just don't, please don't hear me saying, you know, examine the content you consume as I got to watch that I, that I don't look at those bad things and don't read those bad articles. But I want you to think even a level higher than that. Uh, I read a book recently called Digital Liturgies and, and makes a really, really, really good point that is not merely the content, actually, but it's, it's the, the medium, the platform that we're using. That there is something dehumanizing, a dehumanizing tendency to the ways that we consume information. How many of you have spent more than a few minutes tweaking your online avatar, your Memoji, or whatever you know, visual representation you have? Uh, I know people who change theirs regularly to update with their clothing. You know, the, this is their representation. It, it becomes important, right? How much time do you spend worried about your profile and what you post online versus how much time are you spending in the physical world around you with real people in real situations, touching things and, and, and dealing with reality or how much is just this that we look at and consume? I don't think it's accidental that in the last few years especially, we have made it such that what we desire inside and how we feel about ourselves internally overrules physical reality and the biology of our own bodies. We would not get to this place that it would be acceptable if we had not en masse agreed that actually, you know, online, is reality and the physical world isn't so much. Why is it that what's inside of us determines more than, has more weight than physical reality? It, it doesn't make sense. It's at least worth carefully examining why that is. Whatever your views of sexuality and those kind of things, I would encourage you to ask that question of yourself. Why am I letting what's inside of me or what's inside of her or what's inside of him overrule physical reality that's in front of me? Think about that. Why is that? And I would say it's at least in part because we are spending more time in the virtual world and giving it a greater priority than in the real world. And so carefully consider those things. Examine what's going on in our lives. I'm not saying don't use social media. I'm not saying don't be online and I'm not saying don't change your avatar and those kind of things, right? 
but be aware of not only the content itself, but the ways that consuming content changes us and transforms us. And that's that idea that, that leads us to not only carefully examine the content you consume, but to our next point, which is to carefully examine the convictions you display. So not only the content you consume needs to be examined, but the convictions you display. And again, same thing. Please don't hear me saying, uh, change your actions so that they look like you believe something different than what's actually inside of you. I'm saying, use what comes out of you to reveal what's most important to you as a diagnostic tool. Think about what you do and how what you know deep down inside is informing what you say and what you do, what you don't say, what you don't do. Look at verse 3 through 8. And they came, bringing to him, bringing to Jesus, a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Now listen, there's these, these four guys carrying a friend probably, you know, who can't move, can't get himself places. Uh, whatever that looked like in particular, it doesn't say other than he's paralyzed. He can't get around. And, and they get to the house where they know Jesus is inside. And they've heard enough about Jesus. Maybe they've seen some of his miracles. Whatever has happened, they, they believe that Jesus can help their friend. And they see the crowd. They can't get to the door. And they don't give up. They have that deep of a conviction that Jesus can help that they think, what well, can we do? We need to get near. We've come this far. We carried the guy this far, however far it was, right? I mean, you ever carried someone who's like, you know, dead weight? It's really hard. So they, they say, okay, well, let's do this. Let's go up on the roof. And this isn't as far-fetched as it would be today, right? If you came to my house, you'd need a, you know, a pretty good ladder to get up on the roof, and you, know, you probably wouldn't be able to dig through. In those days, most likely one-story houses, flat roof with stairs on the outside so that you could go up there and you could dry things out up on the roof. Maybe you had like a little shelter so that you could catch the breeze and be cooler than inside baking when it's hot, that you could be on top. So they were made for access. And so they said, let's go up on the top. And they go up on the top, and usually the, the roof was made of beams, you know, with some straw and, and mud caked in, and then more covering on that. And so they scrape that away, and then they dig through the, the mud, hardened, packed, or whatever it was, to then access the space where Jesus is, and then they let their friend down. And I just had this image in my head today of, you know, I'd been picturing them on the roof, and they're kind of, you know, I'm like, how does the guy not fall off, right? I don't know if you're picturing that too. Like, he's on a stretcher, and he just slides down. I'm like, oh, one of them probably jumped down into the room, and then come. They just, maybe you're with me in that. Maybe you're like, duh, Mike, that's pretty obvious, you know. But anyway, I just had that image. Somebody jumps down. They, they let the person down into the room, right there in front of Jesus. And what Jesus says here, I think, is important. Actually, what Mark says about Jesus is important. He says, verse 5, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic... Just stop right there. 
Jesus saw their faith. Did you ever think about that? That faith can be seen. The basic principle is it's what I'm saying is that your convictions get displayed all around you. We need to be careful of, of judging people's motives and saying, oh, I know why you did that because you blah, 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 right? That. There is the reality, though, as well, that what you actually believe deep down inside, what you know in your heart of hearts, makes its way out. I mentioned a moment ago, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, Jesus describes us as trees that bear good fruit if there's good inside and bad fruit if there's bad inside. That what's inside of us, deep down inside of us, is what comes out in our actions, in our words, in the things we do and we don't do. And Jesus sees that these guys have faith. He not only sees that that they have kind of an abstract faith that leads them to do things, right? But I think putting a finer point on it is that Jesus essentially sees that their faith is in Him. That they know Jesus from His teachings, from His actions, and they're convinced that Jesus can really help them. No one else but Jesus. And they're not willing to settle for obstacles in their way. You know, they don't... They don't necessarily, you know, believe in that adage that if God closes the door, he opens a window, right? They're like, God closed the door, God closed the window, we're going up on the roof. We're going in. We got to dig through the We'll make a window. We'll make a skylight to get to Jesus, right? That level of conviction says a ton about where their hearts are, that that's how set on Jesus they are, that he alone seems to be their hope and confidence, I mean, you just think about that. You know that, right? That, that the things that you know deep down are the things that you pursue. Someone has said, you know, if you want to see someone's priorities, look at their checkbook, right? And we don't have checkbooks so much anymore. You know, look at their credit card statement and see where the money is going. Look at your time and where it gets spent. You might say you value this thing over here, but if all of your time is spent here, you got to wonder what's going on. You know, our inner convictions are displayed. And you can use that as a kind of diagnostic for yourself. Be careful if you try to use it on others. That's not a good idea. Diagnose yourself. What does the way I'm spending my time say I value? What does where I'm spending my money say that I value? What about where I'm going, how I'm speaking. What about when I talk and when I don't talk? What about when I'm energized and when I'm depleted? What do those things say about what I really value, what my inner convictions are? And these guys, they point us to Jesus that they're convinced he really can help. In other words, their confidence is in Jesus. And that leads us to our, our third point. That not only carefully examine the content you consume, and not only examine the convictions you display, but carefully examine the commitments you lean on. 
Examine the commitments that you're really leaning on, your confidence. In other words, and this comes out uh, negatively with the scribes. If you look at verses 6 through 8, some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They're thinking, they're considering, reckoning. Verse 7, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because Jesus said, seeing the faith of those guys, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. Inside, the reasoning in their heart. Verse 8, immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? I think you know, this is one of those places where we've got to be careful of what we say about someone's motives uh, getting inside of them. But there's, there's, there's clues here in the text, I think, as to what's going on. There's an emphasis on them reasoning where? Out loud? Engaging in dialogue? No, they're reasoning in their hearts. It's repeated three times. Verse 6, they're reasoning in their hearts. Verse 8, Jesus realizes they're reasoning that way within themselves. And then he says, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? You know, there's, a, there's an emphasis, in other words, on the fact that they're kind of doing this internally. They're, they're not asking a single question of Jesus. They're not saying anything at all to Jesus. They are reaching a conclusion and, and a verdict, really, right? Uh, he's guilty of blasphemy without ever uttering a word, without ever asking any questions of him, uh, with only their own limited perspective on what they hear him saying. And they're, the, they're scribes. They are experts in the law. They've probably come down most likely from Jerusalem to check Jesus out because they've heard about him too. Uh, Mark chapter 3.22 and 7.1 kind of lead that direction. And they see here with Jesus a theological problem. That Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they say, you're blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But they don't engage him. They don't share their concerns. They, they don't even ask him any questions. They know in their hearts what's right and what's wrong. What he should do and what he shouldn't do. What God wants from him and what God doesn't want from him. And they don't ever engage. There's a lot of mileage we could get out of that one unpacking it in our own lives. You ever, you ever do that? I mean, if you ever gossip about somebody, that's essentially what you're doing, right? You've decided what they did was wrong, and you're sharing that with other people, like, can you believe so-and-so? You didn't talk to them. You don't know any other circumstances. You might have totally misunderstood things and heard things wrong, but you know what they did was wrong, or what they should have done. That puts us not in Jesus' camp. That puts us in the camp of his enemies. That puts us opposed to his purposes. And why do we do that? 
Why do they not engage Jesus at this point? Why do they not ask a single question? You would think as students and scholars of the law of God, they'd be aware of several things. And number one, that they'd be able to read closely. And if they had read, if they had listened to what Jesus said, what did Jesus actually say right here? Verse 5, son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, technically, Jesus does not forgive his sins right there. He's going to say something different in a minute. But right there, Jesus literally says your sins are forgiven, and it's open by whom? Jesus could merely be acting as a prophet, saying based on your actions and, 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 and your confidence, your sins are forgiven. You are the kind of person God forgives. And they might, if they had even considered that and, and listened closely to Jesus, closely enough, they might have been open to the idea that maybe he's a prophet. That maybe he's speaking for God. But they don't seem to be willing to engage that idea. They certainly aren't willing to engage the idea that maybe Jesus is the prophet. That the scriptures that they study, hoping to know God, declare will come. The prophet like Moses that Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15 speaks of. That Moses said one would come after me, a prophet like me. You know, and this is the kind of thing that happens when, when we don't speak. There's a deeper conviction, in other words, for these guys than their knowledge of God's Word than their uh, desire to help Jesus, their, their theological precision, and there, there's something deeper going on. And the text doesn't say what it is. We can conjecture, you know, but just ask yourself that. Why in that situation would you not speak and, and ask a question even? Why would you not even just say this out loud? Hey, I think that's blasphemy. What are you doing? Now, it could be fear. Of the crowds, that's a problem for the scribes and Pharisees that we read about later. They, they don't want to stand up for what they think is right because they're afraid of the crowds. You know, it could be pride. Yeah, I know I'm right. I don't need to engage you. You're below me. You've already shown it, so I'm not going to engage. If you speak up, those things have a chance that your, your pride maybe will get hurt. That maybe you'll be found to be wrong. Or maybe it will just be awkward. The call here, implicitly, is to consider those, not just you know, the content and not just your convictions, but your ultimate commitments. Because if, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, He has to be your ultimate commitment. That, that following Him has to be the number one priority. He has to come before your reputation. He has to come before your uncomfortable feelings. He has to come before your marriage, before your children, before your job, before your, your neighbors, before anything else, before your finances. Jesus has to be the number one commitment. That's what he asked for. And if he is who he says he is, that's what he has the right to demand of us is that he be the number one commitment. Now, these guys have shown that, that they, they are committed to Jesus. They're willing to, to work as hard as they can to get to Jesus, to look foolish, to have somebody say, hey, what are you doing cutting through the roof? You know, like to say, you know, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. 
The scribes, on the other hand, are like keeping it inside and not willing to engage. They're okay with where they are. And in essence, what, what's going on here is, is a willingness to kind of surrender, to let go of everything else but Jesus, to put our whole weight on Him. You know, it's only in, in that kind of perspective where, where you're going to find that you're willing to carry someone like a paralytic, you know, and make the big effort. It's, it's only if, you know, you're sold out for some, someone else. It's only in, in that kind of a, a, a group where you're going to be able to do that. Because we're all going to be, if we keep things inside, right, uh, and we stay alone, we're never going to be challenged. Like, hey, I feel like you're, gonna, you know, you're thinking something. What do you, why don't you share that? What's going on? And, you know, or, or someone who will come alongside just when we're, we're needing help. You know, the, the, <clears throat> the reality is that this is like a community thing to follow Jesus. And it's one of the reasons why this year we're going to try to emphasize smaller groups. We're calling them the 242 communities. Modeled after Acts 242. We'll say more about it in coming weeks. But in a group like this, we can all very easily hide. You could be thinking all kinds of things in your mind and heart right now about all the wrong things Pastor Mike's saying or all the wrong things that person over there is doing or that parent over there or that old person over there or that music over here, right? You could be thinking all kinds of things and no one is challenging it, right? But if you would be in a smaller group, you'd feel comfortable maybe sharing those things. And maybe you'd be able to help other people. And maybe you'd get corrected. But if you have that kind of situation where it's a smaller group, you have the opportunity to grow in ways that you don't just in a big group. And that's one of the things we want to emphasize this year. And there's, here's, a, here's an application from today's sermon. It's a very easy one. A text is scheduled to go out. Two texts this afternoon. I think it, I don't know, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, I can't remember. And one of them is just, hey, are, are, you, are you in a small group? That means kind of regularly reading the Bible, praying, sharing life together. Are you in a small group? And if so, who's leading it? So just, just respond to that text when you get it. Okay? And then the follow-up is going to be, you know, if you're... It, it, no, so that's the first question. Are you in a small group, yes or no? Very easy question. The second question, I think, is uh, if you are, who's leading it? And if you're not, do you want to be in one? Okay? So just respond to those texts when you get them be applying the text today, that, that we're paying attention to our convictions, our commitments. Um, answer those texts. Because what, that's what we ultimately want is to have this commitment to the Lord that we are leaning on above everything else. And, and you'll never do that on your own. You know, wherever you want to go in life, you know, what you know deep down is really going to determine it. And, and you don't even know what you know deep down. You need other people speaking into your life and saying, yeah, you know, you say that. I don't want to judge your motives, right? But you say that's important. But th how do you fit this other thing that I see you doing all the time? You know, you say family is the ultimate, most important thing for you. But like you're working like 100 hours a week. Like, well, I'm saving up, saving up money so I can support my family. Yeah, and... You know, 
What's that say about your ultimate commitments? One of the problems with the scribes is, is self-reliance. And, oh, you know, you're self-reliant there. Now, I'm not, you maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe, you know, this is what the Lord's calling you to do. Those are the kind of questions, though, that we need to be asking ourselves and that we've got to be open to asking each other. The only way that's going to happen is in a smaller group, really, where you have that trust and confidence. So the, the, what you know, what you really deep down know is, is going to determine where you go. So, so examine the content, the convictions, and ultimately your commitments. Because that's going to show you where you're out of alignment. That's going to show you where you can grow. Uh, think back to John Patton for a moment. And this missionary going to a hard place seeing his wife die, his newborn son, facing threats, eventually giving up and being labeled kind of a failure and criticized. And yet he's at this place afterwards reflecting on it where he says, During the crisis, I felt generally calm and firm of soul. I, interestingly, when he went back again later on to that same island, the same mission work. He was trying to translate the Bible into the native language there. And he was struggling to translate the word for faith, for believing, into something that would make sense to the people. And he finally decided upon lean your whole weight upon the Lord. That faith is leaning your whole weight upon the Lord. That, that surprised me. It took that long to develop a word, a translation for faith, because that's how he lived. You know, the only way you can deal with the kind of loss that he experienced of a wife, a newborn son, the opposition of folks around him, the criticism... When you're doing God's will, the only way you can deal with it is if you're leaning your whole weight on the Lord. That means you got to let go of your pride. That means you got to let go of uh, family to some degree. You got to let go of work. You got to let go of finances. You got to let go of your time, your talents, your treasure, all of those things. And put your whole weight on Jesus. Not just part of it. Not just your health and finances. But you've got to put your whole self. Lean on Jesus. And when you do that. When you do that. You're going to go a totally different place. You're going to go a place that looks an awful lot like what Jesus looked like. Enduring suffering with hope. Encouraging people. Loving people. Sacrificing for people. Bringing joy and hope. As you go. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you have loved us, that you came for us to live for us, to die for us, that you rose for us and sent your spirit to us. Help us, Lord, to put our whole weight on you. Lord, help us to, to pay attention to not only what we're consuming, but even how, and how it's affecting us to what our convictions are that come out, Lord, by how we spend our money and our time, what we say and do. 
what we're afraid of, what we hope in, and ultimately, Lord, what our commitments are. Free us from self-reliance to fully rely on You. Free us from trying to achieve to please You, to recognizing You are pleased with us through Jesus. And You're making us who You want us to be. Oh Lord, let us know deep down that we are Yours. And let that determine where we go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.